Welcome back to the Cineposium Podcast, and thank you for joining us for episode 5 of our third season of the show. To remind you how the show works, every week we invite members or collaborators of Cineposium to curate a film for remote viewing. Then we get together on the show and have a conversation about the film. New episodes will be published every Thursday, with various members from Cineposium to discuss the films with our weekly curators. Before getting on with the show, I'd just like to remind you that after you've finished with this episode, you should go back and check out our last two seasonal episodes, our fall special and our Halloween special, in case you haven't had the chance to check them out yet, because they feature conversations on numerous films we consider great to watch at this time of year, and we had a lot of fun diving into them. This week's episode is curated by Cineposium's Samantha Texan, as she and another new Cineposium member and guest to the show this season, Alex James Salich, will discuss the 1998 film Scooby-Doo on Zombie Island. Enjoy the conversation. So, 1998, Scooby-Doo Zombie Island opens. The Mystery Gang is reuniting on Moonscar Island, a remote island with a dark secret. Daphne wants to find more than just a villain in a costume. And that's what they get. Music by Stephen Bronson, Third Eye Blind, and Sky Cycle. And directed by Jim Stenstrom. So we launch into 1998, years after Scooby-Doo, Apartment Scooby-Doo, the regular Scooby-Doo series, but a couple of years before what's new Scooby-Doo and of course the newer Scooby-Doo products. And the promise for this one, well, it's going to get real and a little bit more adult. Yeah, I mean, I don't think I've seen this film since I was a kid and... All I just remember was being really terrified of the zombies and now watching it as an adult, I realized I was just being a kid. <laughs> I don't know, it just didn't seem that scary to me anymore. And I also vaguely only remembered the melting wax dolls and how that actually melted their faces and that creeped me out. Um, yeah, I don't know. Those were my first reactions watching the Scooby-Doo, but. Yeah, I, I was watching people cover it on YouTube for some reason for like nostalgia. So what they only talked about was, oh, look, it was old. We have the transition from, you know, kitty to kind of a little bit more adult, but not like raunchy at all. And I'm sitting there going, oh, man, I think I was slightly afraid of the fact that zombies were real. This time, spoilers, guys, the zombies were real. But yeah, yeah, spoilers for a <laughs> film made in 1998 <laughs> and a kid's film while we're at it. A, straight to dvd one but it was i was like i have fond memories of this it's a lot of nostalgia like i love scooby-doo and i like realized i'm like oh yeah i super love scooby-doo i just missed a couple of the animated things but it was yeah really strange to come back and be like i forgot about the many other things that were in this but of course we were just kids yeah like i mean i was too (laughs) I, i guess it's just one of those things of like Right, we have such nostalgia for all things. I mean, whatever we're super into as kids, and now we have all this nostalgia. It's like, I don't know, like just me remembering Saturday mornings watching Scooby Doo. 
it just was very strange to now watch it as an adult and then yeah be able to just point out a bunch of the problematic stuff that was in the film I mean it's inevitable I think anything probably from the 90s is problematic in some way shape or form but I think the thing you know problematic stuff which we can touch on later I think one of the things I really enjoyed now watching it back is the fact that not only do they try to subvert the whole like you know I would have gotten away with it if it weren't for you rotten kids is the fact that you know the villains aren't just people in costume they're legitimately supernatural (laughs) and I think that also just that they totally subvert the zombie genre of like oh hey they're real but also they're trying to help you out they were trying to warn you about these evil cat people which I don't even know why there was a cat god or whatever that was the writers props to them to come up with this crazy idea yeah, so interesting I pulled up the Scooby-Doo timeline. So we have this series made in 69. Oh, no, but made in, you know, made in the groovy era. Of course, we know now there was allusions to Shaggy being, you know, with the Mary Jane. But, um, <laughs> uh, you know, they have the munchies and everything. So series starts 69. So they're CBS years. They have their ABC years. So they have a bunch of random shows. The last thing. So literally this film came out, as we know, like 98. They had that whole bunch of directed DVD movies. This is kind of the first bigger one. But A Pup Named Scooby-Doo was like the last big series before that. And that was also a departure from it, from the series, because they made it more cartoony more than it was before and more Tex Avery. And then we have this transitioning yeah. into kiddiness, into adultness. And the only other time I want to say, um, and I don't know if you remember these other directed DVD films that were a little bit older, but... The one where Shaggy teaches at an all ghoul school and it's all like girls and they're monsters. Oh, um, they're famous God. monsters, kids. Yeah, yes. and that was real. Um, Shaggy and Scooby have their own. Hanna-Barbera had this really weird thing about, you know, wacky races, but they had one against like the swamp, like all the um, universal monsters, essentially. So like they're writing in the mystery machine. Um, that yeah. one's like a random one. <laughs> Did, I don't know if this was like a special episode, but did they have an episode where they had like the Harlem Globetrotters? On? Yeah, so they had the Scooby-Doo. Um, it was called like the Scooby-Doo like all-star things. So they would team up like with Batman. Yes. Yeah, so they had times where Scooby-Doo encountered something real, but it was never like this, where in terms of the other ones, it was always goofy and airy. For some reason, Shaggy's um, shirt changed color twice in not in this but like in those other products scrappy do is a thing scrappy um not everyone's favorite and then we have this where all of a sudden it's real and there's actual death like right like this isn't really in the problematic part ish but they you know oh yeah these people really die died and we're gonna allude to the fact that we let a bunch of people to get eaten alive back um you know alligators crocodiles and people getting stabbed kind of thing so you're sitting there going oh these people are for reals dead versus oh how'd you goofily die yeah or like even the zombies right they just like their youth is sucked out of them to the point where they die like that's just it's interesting I mean I don't and I don't think like kids shows or kids movies these days really grapple with this kind of thing like you know 
we think about Looney Tunes, right? Like that's just overt a lot of violence with the anvils and all that. And then you have Scooby-Doo dealing with death and haunted stuff. But I feel like now kids films wouldn't, wouldn't even touch any of this. And it's just crazy because, you know, you and I both as kids didn't even register any of this stuff. And now only coming back to it, we're like, oh, right. There's literal dead people. There was a genocide of cat worshiping people. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, there's also the whole settler colonial thing with the fact that the cat people were white French people settling a like Cajun Island or something. Yeah, like this is gonna get into, so we're, we're... Again, things that were more adult that we missed and kind of also more problematic that maybe they, maybe they just didn't register. But the fact that Moonscar Island, which assumingly is in, so they're in Louisiana, by the way. Yeah. Louisiana is a territory that was originally owned, of course, by Native Americans, as along with a lot of America. And they're like, yeah, Moonscar Island. We were totally the original settlers and they're all white and they're all French speaking. I'm like, no, historically you guys were some of the first colonizers but okay and they have like a cat god that they worship and this is where it also gets to the weird horniness and maybe og furries because yeah. they're kind of weird sexy cat people like they when they turned to the cats it was like full like they had boobs and everything versus like they have like you know like a weird suit or something it was yeah kind of like we're slim and hot and it was they, like oh and they also practice like their cat god worship was also just I want to say like veiled voodoo just because they have voodoo dolls of, you know, all the, the mystery gang and they use it to obviously capture them, uh, tie them up and everything and almost kill them. <laughs> which Yeah. Oh yeah. Go, going back to the murder, they literally are putting it next to the fire and they're like, we're melting and they're like sweating. You're like, Oh, they're going to re again, really, really die versus other ones, which again, all the other pieces are so cartoony. They're right. like, Oh, they're not going to actually die. Or, oh, no, you're going to get slightly bruised. But it's like, oh, this is legitimately they're going to die. Yeah. And yeah, these people are practicing voodoo. And none of them, we all know, like, voodoo has more attachment to more Black history. And I'm like, you guys are all, again, you guys are all white practicing <laughs> voodoo. Like, you appropriated, I'm assuming you appropriated someone's cat god out of all honesty. But you totally oh, appropriated voodoo. Yeah. And, oh, plantation, by the way. The plantation. Oh, right. Oh, which, when they, like, had, like... Wasn't it that they, they zoom in on one of the like plantation workers and it's just a white guy? Yeah, there is one black dude ever in this. So there's pretty much no people of color unless we assume um, the one character is, but that's kind of basing it off of, uh, was it Lena? Like that's assuming yeah. possibly Lena is and at best maybe she's possibly like Hispanic of some sort because they gave her like, what they would give characters like oh hispanic hair and kind yeah. of like the the bandana which then is also problematic because she was the maid literally uh, but for the most part the one black person that's there is not even attached to the louisiana part and it's like on daphne's show so in coolsville right. which we assume is somewhere i think in the midwest or somewhere that's not the south yeah it, it's it's just like i mean and it's just one of those things of I don't know if it's just like, was this a product of its time where diversity wasn't, you know, something that was considered or thought of and, and right, that, you know, the Louisiana characters that they meet, right, are the two French women 
who are the cat people. And then the Cajun boat driver who also is a cat person. I, I wasn't entirely clear if he was actually involved with like the decades ago. They said, they said basically at some point when they had met up with them, he was like, Hey y'all, I want to be a cat person too. Like I'm down with you guys. Oh yeah. And by the way, they taunt people over. So you see through the zombies that there's, you know, younger and younger zombies and you're like, Oh wait, those are from people. Oh, so they capture people, take them to the island, sacrifice the cat God sort of deal. At some point they met up with him and he was like, I'm down for this. Yeah. And then they're like, all right, we got to, um, so they're the two like sexy cat ladies and he's like the cat daddy. <laughs> he's like the himbo looking cat. That's the best description I could get. Cause again, it was like weirdly like, like they were weirdly horny the entire time. Cause yeah. also Fred, Fred and Daphne and even Velma at the end, because Fred was like, ooh, like, Lena's so nice, and da-da-da-da, ooh. And then Daphne's like, ooh, the gardener guy. And then at the end, the gardener guy is a secret detective. CIA oh, my God. Agent. And Velma's like, oh, I love mysteries. He's like, I do, too. And they're like, ooh. Right. They, like, I randomly give Velma a love interest, even though, like, I did, like, I don't know why they had to randomly throw in a love interest. Like, I mean, we all, yeah, right. Like Fred and Daphne have always been coded as just being in a relationship together. And I've always just considered Velma just to be queer. But, and I'm sure, you know, that's been something that a lot of fans have always talked about. But it's just interesting to me that they just randomly were like, oh, hey, here's the cop that saves the day. But also let's just make him a love interest because why not, even though he has no reason or there is no explanation as to how they built their relationship. Beyond yeah, like- they, they accuse him the entire time. <laughs> yeah. He's like, oh, you're the sus one this entire time. Let's just think it's you. I mean, obviously they need a red herring because, but then again, like no one would have expected cat people. So <laughs> I don't know why you needed a red herring in your plot. Yeah, out of all the things they could have done, they're like, you know what? I, um, everything is real now. So what's going to happen with the Scooby gang? And then it's like, all right, cat people. Like, I don't know how they, so the a movie after this, which we're not covering, but it's, you know, people yeah. have also seen it usually in doubles. So it's usually this movie and Witches Ghost because they're the ones that came out not too far from each other. And again, we're the sets of, oh, it's getting to adultness now. And in Witches Ghost, it's a witch. I'm like, that makes sense. You know, someone's yeah. reviving a witch. I don't know how they got cat people. Like they put... Like the zombies make sense that they're like, oh, the zombies could be real, but they're like, how would we make zombies real? I'm like, you could have just had someone do voodoo out of all this day. They're like, all right, cat god. I don't know how they got there at all, but they just went, zombies real? Because the, you know, oh, and then in context of how this happens, old pirates come onto Moonstar <laughs> Island and are like, hey, cat people, we're going to take this island and we're also not down with your cat god stuff. And they, get all of them except for the two that survive into a best recording they're concerned they're like they're like scooby scooby hates cats by the way oh yeah rats and then that's what's supposed to be like the The underlying hint right that scooby just hates (laughs) hates the two women yeah he hates the cats uh but i guess it's interesting I mean, the more I think about how, like, most of the Scooby-Doo movies tend to actually have something supernatural or real, and, and I 
I mean, I even think about the live action reboot where those villains were also real, right? It was, I forget what they were, but it was something. They were like goblins or something. They, they took a lot also because it was another like reboot set. If I go back to, I want to say like the Scooby-Doo stuff. So they had, um, we get all these directed DVD films that they still make to this day. They have ones where they team up with the WWE and random they other really? stuff. Yes. Okay. It's weird. They uh, yeah, yeah. Speaking of wacky racers again, they have another racing one and it involves WWE. Don't know why, but um, they or they. I know why they're teamed up. So, you know, Hanna Barbera at this point, I want to say maybe not the point of Zombie Island. Possibly, I could be wrong about this about them being long past or at least one of them being dead, but. You know, they have those director DVDs and then they have the years of what's new Scooby-Doo, Shaggy gets a clue and all that, and all that jazz. And we sort of have the live action films a little bit between those. And they took, those films totally take a lot from this film. Cause again, this is the first film that was like, okay, we're not just nostalgia anymore. Cause they, of course, you know, we do in the beginning, we have all like the flash, not flashbacks, but kind of like references to them finding someone. It's a mask. It's all fake. Oh, and right. then we get to real zombies and all the zombies are like, oh yeah, we pushed these cat people into the water, let them get eaten. Also, we're confederates. And, oh, right. oh wait, sorry, that's like the Nexus zombies technically because there was first the, <laughs> the pirate zombies and then there's the confederate zombies. You know, yes. but anyways, it's like that. It's so weird that again, this is the first not to say the this is the first serious one where it's like yeah. this and then the live action movies take that concept where i think they amp that raunchiness because again that line i was thinking about the line where actually a couple of them where shaggy's like mary jane that's my favorite yeah uh, or they're like "Ooh, uh oh i'm in daphne's body now i'm gonna look at myself naked and I was like, wait. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that was all the live action. Yeah, I think it's it's interesting that they took. I mean, I'm, I honestly thought Scooby Doo was just canceled, not canceled, but I mean, you know, done at this point. But it's interesting that they're still making Scooby Doo movies, and I just wonder, like, I guess just how long can you keep remixing stuff and just like this interesting intersection of like how adult can you get? in a kid's show. I mean, this is obviously just something to discuss about like overall children's media, I guess, but like how much can you get away with, with the, in a children's show while still having like the kids in the dark, you know? Yeah, and I think it's funny because with a product like Scooby-Doo where it's literally like, it's the oldest one in terms of that, it's the most innocent in yeah. the beginning ones and then you have kind of this period like even like honestly like zombie island upon further reading is you know more a little bit sexy a little bit again with the cat people and the weird semi-horiness but it overall isn't really necessarily super like oh are they doing this sort of bad versus you know getting later again with the live action one which was super edgy humor but it's yeah. funny so um i almost said spider-man scooby-doo itself has restructured some multiple times but i feel bad because i think it's burnout of the series but not and not how they do it so i guess um scooby-doo mystery incorporated and there was like a crystal cove one or something like that and those ones are known to actually be really good hmm. and and it what it did is it's 
it had like one of them actually had an overarching story which oh my gosh if you know anything about scooby-doo overarching stories don't exist it was very much a bottle episode every time right and uh, there was i think it did play with the idea of like a real mystery and like the hex girls and stuff come back and all this other thing so it you know it's all nostalgia but also could do its own stuff and work within the scooby-doo format and people really liked it it just didn't get circulated as much and cartoon network itself nowadays has really weird scheduling everything's about teen titans go so if you make anything else new it doesn't you know come out so i feel bad because that was actually a good example of look at it's changed for the better right or someone could do the formula and do it well and same thing with what's new we do it really didn't super change the formula but it wasn't so campy like as the older one but it was still campy enough where people could still watch it and that was again right after essentially all these directed dvd movies yeah i think without that basis i think they just would have been like all right well pup name scooby-doo was our last like magnus opus of doing something new with scooby-doo what do we do now right i mean it's just also interesting that like i mean rewatching zombie island again from it was interesting to me that they just sort of like turned that horror zombie horror trope of like you know zombies are always going to eat you I mean, I can't, I can't even recall a zombie movie where they're good besides that rom-com um, with the zombies that the name is blanking on me now, uh, but like warm bodies or something. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Warm bodies. But I'm trying to think, I can't think of any other form in which the zombies are good. And I mean, the more I think back on the series, it's always interesting that they sort of you know, we have this sort of like hyper fascination with things that are supernatural. So I always thought it was curious that they're basically debunking everything supernatural. And even even in Zombie Island, right? It's sure these things are real, but yeah, we're gonna debunk something that you thought of in the supernatural that isn't true. You know, zombies aren't all bad. Zombies are just trying to warn you that horny cat people are out to get you. <laughs> yeah, like they're always, um... I think that because it's always a mystery that they have to debunk something and it even if it involves the real oh interesting I just remember this now um as Mike was discording me for some reason that triggered it but the um one we need to scooby-doo voices towards the end of this but two that there was a weird another kind of zombie one and this is gonna sound so strange so think zombie island on high where every monster is real and it's like a zombie apocalypse it's called scooby-doo apocalypse and all the monsters like they there's like some weird monster virus that goes around scooby and them are a little bit more adult like they're in college so in this again in this one i think they're 20 honestly for the scooby-doo because of their jobs and stuff and it makes a little bit more sense that they're transitioning into being older for zombie island but anyways they they distinctly mention in scooby-doo apocalypse they are in college it's real. Daphne becomes like a the gun toting one in the apocalypse and starts shooting everything. Nice. Um, Fred, for some reason, kind of almost almost sexually harasses her all the time. Like he's just like, Will you marry me? Will you marry me? Will you marry me? And she's like, This meme is dead. Okay, can you stop? And then he like dies and as he dies towards the end. Sorry, spoilers for something maybe no one's gonna really read. Just you can watch a really good breakdown of it from um, comic story and and comic streak but it's so funny because it's like random where uh things go haywire i think some people lose a limb somehow velma is the cause of this weird virus that caused it or connected to it 
also Velma and Shaggy have a kid at the end. What? And this is like, think of everything weird in Zombie Island where you're like, all right, can we have weird horny cats, weird this, um, weird everything's real, a zombie essentially apocalypse. Okay, well, here's it again, up to like 11 and going into a weird space. And it totally is the least Scooby-Doo of Scooby-Doo. Like if you thought the live actions were edgy, this one I feel like is way edgier and, and on the weird scale of you just stare at it and go, it exists. I think it's maybe entertaining for its strangeness and where it goes, but it's a wild ride. I don't think, again, any of this would happen, even the live action, without Zombie Island happening. Mm. And then I think also other pieces we could connect to this is, so we have Zombie Island, again, being very tame. Later on, we have like Archie get really, you know. Oh, Riverdale. Riverdale. And even pre that, they had a kind of older version, but but it's tame. Like Zombie Island was more tame. Yeah. For some reason, Riverdale's the one that's like, instead of being tame adult, because we can't do that, it's got to be edgy. Right. Um, Sabrina, the Sabrina the Teenage Witch, also another, it had a Hanna-Barbera ones, and I started Archie. And then, you know, has this transgression. So it has a wholesome TV show. It has an animated show, it has a wholesome TV show, and now it has the um, newer show in which, you know, again, a way leaning on edgy. Not as bad as Riverdale, I want to say, but maybe because Riverdale just has a, quote, higher cringe factor, but... I mean, I guess it's just one of those... Yeah. I mean, we're obviously, I think, in a time of reboot culture. So I think it's... it's I think it's partially that, and then just, like, you know, the people who would know about Archie, who would know about Scooby-Doo, who would know about whatever other reboots they're gonna throw at us in the coming years I think it's this sort of understanding like oh well you know no adult is gonna watch a kid's show we have to make it edgy we have to make it sexual which I don't know if I agree with that just because I don't know I mean maybe it's maybe it's corona maybe it's election season I just completely want to revert back into my childhood and be like, oh, remember the innocent days when, you know, like just nothing was sexual. Nothing could be read as sexual. I think that's just, I mean, it's part of adulthood, I think, just realizing what sex is. But it, I don't know. I think it's it's this weird fascination with reboot culture of like, not only do we have to reboot it, but we have to make characters extremely horny or like edgy or we now have to make everyone in Riverdale really sus and possibly a murderer um, yeah I don't know get that underage uh you're gonna have some underage relationships with your teacher yeah like it's it's so weird because again Scooby-Doo this one did a really good job again the only problems we're saying there is is kind of of a of a product of that time and probably of the creators themselves being again 1969 is when the series starts. They're like however old. I think some of them or their family still alive. So these are people that are like, yeah, the Confederates uh, we seem like the good guys. Yeah. You know, and, and again, we had re- there's recent discussions about stuff like that. So we're sitting there and it, it's not that, and it, as much as we're saying horny, they're not like actually like, oh, yeah. oh man, like who scoob. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, got a, I got a collection. Roro Raggy, what's this? <laughs> Like they, they Rex. Not <laughs> Rex. Okay. Oh no. Oh. But it's so you know, they didn't need to do that. And they kind of found a way where it's like adults could totally watch this and be like, oh, this is really good. And we've seen that with so many other anime products nowadays, like that didn't have to go there. 
Yeah. I can think of some anime. I can think of some just normal cartoons. Avatar Last Airbender, good example. Adults love that cartoon and so did tweens. But it's really strange that the transition now is like, all right, these kids, uh, they didn't grow up with our products. This is reboot culture. We're kind of also in the 30-year cycle. So our parents grew up with that. Yeah. Now those ones are being reconstituted. We sing She-Ra and everything come back. Oh, yeah, She-Ra is another good example. It came back and was still relatively, it didn't have to be edgy. It was yeah. for still children. So it's just really weird that, again, their version, especially one, turning it live action, which Scooby-Doo already did. They started They started the game. Look at this. They did before that. <laughs> and they did. And they also made it raunchy. So they, they did before that. And then the other thing is just to have it, again, like like um, you said, Alex, just, yeah, let's go make it with the, with the reps, with <laughs> all the sex and other stuff when it's like, I don't think you guys know that you don't need to do that. And maybe because some of it is a lot of it's produced on CW. Oh, um, <laughs> and that's that's kind of their thing. But some of it isn't. Some of it's Netflix. And it's like Netflix, you have a wide variety. The worst part is like, we mentioned She-Ra right now. She-Ra was on Netflix. Voltron, yes, has its own problems. But in terms of what they do is on Netflix. Right. And that's another reboot one. And yeah, I'm, that's just really strange out of all of them. Let's just do that. And Scooby-Doo didn't do that first of all, but they did it on the that live action with James Gunn. If Guardians of the Galaxy's James Gunn. Amazing. I mean, right. Like you mentioned Shira being another example of rebooting without having to be sexual. But I mean, and this is what I'm going to mention as an example is not a reboot, but like I think of like, I think of Steven Universe, like it, it is not a sexual show. I mean, kind of, I guess. <laughs> it's this, you know, the guys of the fusions, right? It could be a metaphor of sex, but like, I think they paint it more as like a metaphor of relationships. Um, and yeah, sure. There's the romantic relationship fusions, but then there's like the friendship fusions. There's the like, you know, the abusive relationship fusions. And I think, I think there's just a way to introduce that discussion of sex or just illusion of sex to kids without having it to be like, we're going to have raunchy, like sexual commentary. Um, but this is more of a wink, wink, nudge, nudge to the adults in the room where I feel like, I don't know, maybe this is just a, you know, paradigm of American culture of just like, we can't, we can't talk about sex with children. That's terrible. You know, we're going to corrupt the little, the youths, um, even though yeah. they probably just go Google porn. <laughs> yeah. But um, I mean, to my larger point being that I think just how this, how reboot culture just has like sexualized a lot of these like television shows and animated shows to a point that it's not, it's not in any way trying to teach children about sex or like the implications of sex or anything like that. It's just I don't know. It's just like, maybe this is like, oh, this is the extra spice we need for our show to make it different uh, yeah. rather than like, hey, let's actually conducively have a conversation about sex. Like, and, you know, what does it mean? Yeah. Well, or other adult stuff. Because honestly, that Scooby-Doo oh, piece is the transition between the, again, the kiddiness, because they were considered teens, even though I, I animated wise, they don't look like it, but also it was back then. Okay. Right. A lot of people smoked a lot. They looked <laughs> way different, but um so they're transitioning from being teens into now being adults and working life so we're seeing that Daphne's like oh my gosh I'm really almost 
bored being on my TV show. Velma's kind of bored just working at her shop because they're missing the nostalgic kind of past. Right. Um, Scooby and them are getting like fat at the cops, uh, working as cops. And it's it's like, okay, look, they're addressing being an adult and kind of the transition and kind of also reinvigorating what they liked while still being an adult. And that was them looking at mysteries. But all these other pieces nowadays just have the problems like, how do we know? Let's just jump to like sex, adults and whatever. Like that's what teens are into, right? And then, oh, and how that goes into adulthood. In reality, I went to school. I didn't go to like a super Catholic or Christian school or anything. I went to a normal public school and I'm like, I don't know. I don't see that many people doing it as much as like, or even hearing about it as much as you guys are rampantly making it. It's like, sure, there's some exploration, but it's almost like they're stuck in that old, I want to say 80s idea where it needs to be in there for some reason. And you're like, that's not even the reality. Most people, I don't say they're not waiting, but they're not like, yeah, let's go everywhere. And even, I think we were maybe the last, like at age 24, I think we were the last like generation at least of doing that. Cause then people would be in college like, did you? Yeah, uh-huh. And then afterwards they're like, okay, I don't really care though. You know, like, I don't care how yeah. many people you slept with or who or what, as long as it was, like, legal. I don't, like, I don't care. Yeah. But, again, that's what the shows are leaning on more to, one, make old content more appealing, quote-unquote, for adults, and then also somehow to teens. I'm like, teens don't really care about this stuff. They kind of want the real. Give them the, what is it like to transition from being a kid to an adult? Show them right. that. Because that's a meaningful conversation that other pieces, like, Toy Story like four and three have yeah but when you're not having that it's like okay then you're gonna reconstitute into them that that worry that you have about them having this like massive Rex row is um (laughs) (laughs) that will just come back my best community voice um you're just reconstituting it into them because they're like maybe that is what happens and you're like that's not reality right we know it isn't and just have that meaningful conversation with them or even just, yeah, I think it's, I totally agree. I think it's, I mean, right. Like I think of the TV shows I watched as a teen, which, yeah, they were just like, especially the high school shows. It's all just like about, oh my God, so-and-so is dating blah, blah, blah. And like, very clearly they're having a sexual relationship. And then, oh my God, you know, they dated three months and broke up. And I mean, sure. High school, you know, everyone was dramatic and it was the end of the world of something minorly bad happened to you but like by no means was anyone in my school like breaking up every three months and then getting back together and then dating that person's friend (laughs) like like I just feel like all these like everyone just thinks that's like high school life or that's high school American life like I'm thinking of uh what is it the secret life of an American teenager which like by no means was that ever (laughs) show that talked about the actual teen life like what she's pregnant I mean she's pregnant at 16 which then convolutes the whole aughts obsession with teenage mothers and teen moms but that's a whole separate conversation yeah yeah, yeah we need a teen mom movie to cover in symposium right now <laughs> to talk about that oh yeah. my god yeah it's just it is that wild where Again, this shows like, so they're teen. If we're assuming they're maybe still teens, at worst they're like 18. We know it's Daphne's birthday, but again, they get like a journalism job and stuff. So that's questionable. They're like 20 something. They have to be. And we know by yeah. the series standards, they are teens. So again, we're watching this transgression to like, how does it feel to be an adult and having to let go of some of those passions or how to invigorate it, which is yeah. 
the fact that they get to still travel right i still don't know how they go pay for it. well okay they mentioned it's the show paying for it in this one but think about yeah. when they were younger but anyways we don't question that <laughs> so they're like, you know, they're going and they're, you know, fighting the first time and kind of like to reflect that shock of being adult for the first time, it's real monsters versus mm-hmm. for the first time. It, uh, is it Mr. Jenkins? Oh, that's creepy. Is old man Jenkins. It's old man <laughs> Jenkins in the dressing up as a zombie in a very overdramatic convoluted plot. Now it's, oh, wait, this is real. And kind of just like the effects of being an adult, like, oh, now I have to go pay for my own stuff now I have to go do this yeah again I have to let go of a passion I have to not see my friends for a while and they start off with that they didn't see each other for a long time yeah you know and it's more real than you think so the reality is not only the monsters are real but it's the reality of growing up yeah you kind of wish series could tackle with a lot better and just you know, and if they do ever want to do a reboot, kind of tackle it from the angle. What if the Scooby gang, again, has to go kind of grow up? Yeah. And not, and not in that really dramatic way of like, now we have to leave everything behind, which I think is the other turn that people do when it's, I have to grow up. Right. It's like, okay, well, how do I navigate doing mystery and a job? How right. do I regulate? Maybe I have to come up with an original thing for my book at the bookstore, like if she, for Velma. How do I legally go make this using cases that we covered? Because maybe they'll get into like modern copyright and stuff, but that that probably doesn't happen. But yeah. it's kind of interesting that Scooby-Doo, for no reason, decided to go tackle this on a straight-to-DVD. And I don't know if it was the case of, eh, this is the last gamble of Scooby-Doo. Again, Putman Scooby-Doo at that point, I think was like 10 to 20 years divided. And that's a long time. Yeah, you know, I'm, and that was the last Super Kids product, and now they're like, "All right, well, this is like our last hurrah. What do we do now? Yeah. It's real." I mean, you make a really good point about just like how Scooby Doo's on the island sort of, I mean, hints at the realities of being an adult that I think so few shows ever talk about. Which is, yeah, it's this, it's it's a distancing. It's not like, oh no, I'm leaving my life behind and never speaking to so and so again, right? Like, and I think it's just interesting that out of the five of them, really only Fred and Daphne kind of make a career from what they did as kids, right? They have like a myth-busting TV show. And I think, I don't know, it's, it, I thought it was refreshing that Daphne even is like disillusioned by the career she's made for herself, right? Like this is a dream show. She's super successful. She's getting interviewed on, you know, what looks like to be like Good Morning America, basically. And at the same time, she's like totally unhappy with how her career is going because none of it's real. Um, And I, you know, that drives the whole plot. And I think it's interesting, right? That Velma doesn't necessarily show any sort of like disillusionment with her job, but it, I mean, it looks like she just has this like case of ennui of just like, what am I doing here managing a bookstore, mystery bookstore? And I think it's just interesting because that's totally what, I mean, I experienced when I was working just like, oh, yay, I'm going to go in the workforce. and It's going to be great. And like you have this idealistic, like young 20 something idea. And then it's like a year and you're like, oh, I really hate everything. And I hate office politics. <laughs> yeah. I know we were talking about uh, like, I mean, to, like on topic of this, where um, like going through college, 
you know, I didn't have a job. Luckily, like my mom would save money. So I was able to go pay it off. Like I, to this day, have not touched student loans. So yeah. And then I go into the workforce and I'm like, okay, idealistically, it's going to be like, I was a good student stuff. I think an office job an HR, so like no one, no one was really hiring. I was like, I graduated, you know, all these marks, like, like picture for like, like a Velma sort of perspective where you're like, I'm super smart. I do this. Like I'm on paper, super smart. Why am I get, getting hired? People, you, you get kicked in the teeth that the reality that people who just not hire you for the most, I would consider petty of reasons. Oh yeah. Most things are connection. Like, wow, that's great on paper, Alex, you are literally um, a genius. <laughs> However, my son is, you know, right. getting in and it's like, well, thanks. And then also you get the kick of the team of reality. We're like, oh, well, an office job, according to many media things, even though sometimes it seems unhappy, that just seems like if it's only a cartoonishly evil boss. Right. And in the sense of like changing it to Scooby-Doo, it's like, oh, maybe it's just like a cartoonishly evil like person. Right. Right. And then you, then you go in. So like, you know, Daphne going into her job, it's like, oh, we dealt with so many cartoonishly evil people. We go into the job. Oh man, it's so boring. Like they're not cartoonishly evil. That's so obvious. And then in the workforce, it's, they're totally e- evil in their own way or like politically or like, you know, like office politicky or just really bad standards that you're like, oh, I thought this would be like easy and mentally fine. And I'm not mentally okay. And sometimes right. there's also personalities going in. So we saw, again, going back to, so if we look at Scooby-Doo and them, they go to be cops. These are two chill dudes that don't really do much. They could have been working at the store, honestly, and they probably would have been better off, but they're the type of, you know, mentality or people they are isn't really cop people. Right. Yeah, they might've helped bust people, but remember they're the ones always like, raggy, I stepped on the thing. Oh, so Scooby, we found out who it was. You know, that's not them. And they go into the workforce. They're the worst cops in the world, which maybe it's probably good for like everyone else. Thank God you're a terrible cop. But like <laughs> um, at the end of the day, they were, it's like, it's not meant for them so clearly. Yeah. And this isn't just them being stereotyped as like stoners or whatever. It's like stoners totally have jobs. It's just that that's not one that vibed with them. Yeah. I mean, even if like, you know, they are like the complete stoner stereotype, it's, it's just like they're both scaredy cats. Like the entire canon is them being scaredy cats and inadvertently like solving usually the mystery because they just did something totally stupid. So it's just interesting, right, that they chose the career path of a cop. I mean, I guess it makes sense with like the canine part of it. Maybe that's like they needed a or job. The, the donuts. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I don't know. It, it definitely was a weird placement. For them to feature feature that and i guess you have that like little comically added section of like oh they ate all the evidence haha <laughs> classic shaggy and scooby but i don't know it's just i mean thank god they got fired honestly yeah god they're the worst but they're they're the worst at doing that but they always accidentally solve cases so kind of do the entire zombie thing they're the they okay this is actually a big criticism for how they all act in that house they all like so back to the plot of zombie island they go to the they they get asked they go to the people's house they're like oh yeah madam oh my gosh the worst place i have the names popped out madam the um hey can we chill at your place we heard it's haunted they go in the house right in this plantation home um 
that's apparently built using the old ship of the people that you know super murdered the cat people which lady lenoir is because they're the only survivors but anyways they go in and scooby scooby and shaggy are already like putting their hands in like the food and everything i'm like she never you never asked there's a part where velma and i always kind of think about this part like that part when i watched it um i want to say between i want to say high school and and uh, like starting to become an adult when I actually had rewatched parts of this. Velma straight up takes the spatula to Lady Lenoir's, Madame Lenoir's- um, Like kitchen wall. Yeah, kitchen wall. And it's just scraping away. I'm like, you did not ask her. That's rude. <laughs> I mean, you're in a haunted house, but that's like going to um, the local, there's like one in San Diego that's a famous haunted house. I don't know why I can't remember what it's called for the life of me right now. But it's like if I went into there and be like, sorry, Haunted House Museum, I'm going to go take the spatula to it. So I'm going to walk to your kitchen, steal the food. Like they get caught already trying the food. And they're like, that's okay. You could do it because you're Scooby and Shaggy. I'm like, no, they're, they're being rude. Like Daphne and Fred probably do the least bad things in there. Yeah. Because the ghost starts acting up and it's writing on the same wall, like, get out. Oh man, Jordan Peele, that's where you got the title. Um, <laughs> yeah, like, get out, place is evil, something along those lines. And that's when afterwards, Velma's like, I'm gonna go scrape, scrape this it without permission. And Scooby them were like, uh, because they go into the pantry and steal peppers, again, without permission, start trying these peppers. And this also leads to their accidental saving of everyone is the peppers, they spray it into some of the cat people's eyes at the end. Oh my God, yes. And that's what gets the wax voodoo that also makes people float. Again, there's a lot of weird magic as well as here. That um, they drop the wax figures away from the fires and everything. Everyone's saved. Also, it, it's just wild um, in terms of that. But it's like, you guys, like, look, maybe they were trying to now kill you because you're being rude at this point. <laughs> like, it's it's really weird. Um, I know how much we really touched on this, but who the villain is in the story oh, yeah. is framed to be really strange. Yeah. And well, first of all, they're like the pirates and the Confederate soldier go. Everyone who got killed by the cat people apparently are the good guys. And if we look at the story, the pirate people and then also the other part is they're Confederate soldiers. They shouldn't be. They're not good guys. Um, but the pirate people who were the OG killer of the cat people, they literally went onto the island and pushed a lot of them, or forced a lot of them into the waters that's filled with crocodiles or alligators, whichever one. And they are hinted at off screen to be eaten because only two are survivors being um, Simone Lenoir and um, Lena Dupree over there, who are now, you know, they're still the owners of the house. Yeah. And you're like, wait a second those pirates are kind of evil. The cat people just took revenge. And then later on, they just started killing a lot more people to appease the cat gods. So you're like, okay, well, you became bad by virtue of continuing the process. But honestly, initially killing the first people wasn't bad. Yeah. You were like, they legitimately just murdered everyone in front of you. And it's so funny because Scooby-Doo has the line where they turn around, or no, it was Velma who says it, but guys, the zombies are the good guys. Like, no, Velma. The only good guys are maybe you guys as the innocent victims in between, despite the fact you ruined their house. But, you know, that's it's very questionable who the good guys kind of are. Like, maybe yeah. there should not be one. <laughs> I mean, right. Like, they 
at be- like, you know, I mean, I'd rather take, you know, vandalism, I guess. <laughs> it's like, I wouldn't call someone who does vandalism a bad guy, but right. Like they, yeah. they completely stumble on this and sort of, I mean, they know, like, is it Lena? I think Lena's the one who, you know, knowingly sort of is like, oh, hey, I heard you're looking for a mystery. Why don't you come over to this house? It's super haunted. Um, which I don't know why they just like maybe followed her because stranger danger is we do and gang. Apparently <laughs> they've got they've gone to several different places where they trust the person. They're like, wait a second, it was you all along. That's yeah. right. I know. And it, but right, I think it's it's interesting that like, yeah, the cat people had their reasons at first, but obviously for I guess immortality purposes wanted to keep on doing it versus like the pirates who did, you know, commit an act of genocide, like, yes, they did something completely, absolutely horrible, but they're the ones who were trying to look out for the Scooby gang in a weird way, I guess, maybe to atone for what they did. I have no idea. I mean, I feel like it's what- the ultimate clap back. Like, oh, we think, <laughs> we think that it's like no one else is, they probably warned the other people. They probably warned the Confederate soldiers. They probably warned the tourists that we see. Yeah. And maybe they just didn't get on, but it's like, oh, cause it's the mystery gang and they're, they're super smart and they've solved many mysteries. Look, later on, they interact with aliens. So, <laughs> and the alien almost becomes Shaggy's girlfriend. But that, that was a wild one. That was a good one too. But, you, you know, that general idea of they're good at solving things, no matter how it happens. Yeah. It's always by a little bit by accident and most of it by Velma. If we want to give that, if we always have to give the credit. Velma's the smart one. Yeah. She's the one solving like a majority of it. Right. I mean, she's usually like what a teenager and knows about insurance scams because that's like I feel like 90% of the actual reasons these people disguise themselves as like monsters. But regardless, I think it's, I don't know, it's, it's always, it, I want to say like, yeah, Scooby Doo's on the island is just like a fascinating, I guess, arc in both Scooby Doo canon, but also just in a poetic way, I guess, just sort of the millennial arc of how we've grown up. I I think it's this weird thing of, you know, we were just sort of this innocent, innocent group and in a way just kind of pushed into this weird idealistic, like, oh yay, we can always solve every mystery, but, and then get disillusioned. And, you know, now we're sort of forced into this whole thing of like, hey, remember every single thing that you loved about your childhood we're gonna now make it crazy horny just so that you can like give us your money even more yeah and again zombie and luckily doesn't super go on that at all but it's more like hey we'll show you what what happens when we make it real and then the funniest thing if you think about it, there's still another solved mystery how is magic real <laughs> how is cat gods real like they didn't really question that i think they were just so concerned about like we're just gonna die guys let's get out yeah versus I mean, the other ones where they're like ah it's always the fog machine yeah or like it's something attached to strings i don't know i think it's just it's a really beautiful in a weird way beautiful like just idea of like you know, is anything truly good or bad? Is Do we need to have like a hero or villain? Do mysteries always need to be solved? And I think it's just interesting that they don't choose to describe, like their explanation is cat god for all the magic and ghosts that happen, um, which fair, like maybe they're just trying to run out of the house and like yeet out of there. But I think 
I don't know. There's something nice about like not having every mystery like tied up. And especially because Daphne was like, so, you know, she got them into this mess because she was so obsessed with finding something real. She finds something real. And then like, I mean, I guess like she's not even that terribly like upset that like the camera gets destroyed. I mean, she's, she's sad about it, but I don't think it's, she never really seemingly like laments, like this is the end of her career. It's just sort of like, oh, okay, she's just going to go back to doing fake mysteries yeah i mean the end of winning at the end where she's like how do you feel about being on a um, tv show mr whatever cim and even though he openly acknowledges he's gonna look like a conspiracy theorist but it's like oh yeah there's things you never solved in this one no one will believe because even if they had it on film think about things like i want to say in a weird way it's kind of blair witchy too and this was kind of around that era as well where it's like we're gonna start having the found footage films that's what they were making, essentially, like a found footage, almost in a sense. Film. Yeah. And it's like, well, no one will believe you anyways. Some people might, but no one, a lot of people won't, Daphne, I'm sorry. <laughs> but, you know, her, at least her biggest concern was my friends are out alive. Thank goodness we're alive. And I'm yeah. like, yeah, that's, that's a good um, transition from, I would say people always think Daphne is like the vapid one all the time. Right. Like, if we're talking about character progress, a lot of them relatively stay the same. Like, Velma's still the smart ones. Scooby and Shaggy are still the hinted at stoners. Yeah. But they're just goofs. Um, Fred is, like, somehow good at technology on the wacky camera, but he's also, kind of still, like, a, a little bit of a lackey still to, like, let's say Daphne. And Daphne just looks a lot stronger, I feel yeah. like. Yeah. I mean, also, like, I think they allude to them being together. And, I like, I was just like, oh, he's a supportive boyfriend. You know, he's her producer and he's the one who like does all the grunt work while she uh, is in front of the camera. But yeah, I think they, I mean, they stay true to like the essence of Scooby-Doo. I just think it's, it's interesting how like, right, they put those little teeny twists that maybe as a kid you wouldn't have picked up in the larger Scooby-Doo arc of things, but revisiting it, you just, you sort of, I don't know if like maybe if I was watching it as an adult the first time I would have picked up on it but you know now having my eyes I guess opened uh with Rex like now I see I see it everywhere now all the Rex <laughs> um, it I think it also comes with the fact that it would like uh, I think for a lot of us like we had seen it on Boomerang we've seen those old ones they never the the intention of the show was like oh bottle mystery we're not gonna really have character development that wasn't Hanna-Barbera's thing to make character development you right. could easily be like stock 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 and then even later versions in those other movies is still like stock 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 oh with the Harlem Globetrotters stock 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 um like stock characters until like later on even like Pub Nays is probably one of the bigger um character development ones and then we get what's new Scooby-Doo after, again, this set of stuff because of this movie and then all the other straight-to-DVDs that did really well yeah. for a lot of them being Witch's Ghost, again, another one where this time it's real and it wasn't triggered by Daphne wanting to go find something real. It was just like them getting invited to Salem and it was like, oops. And then they go back to it not being real with like Cyber Chase being the last one, which yeah. is a weird one because they do go into the digital space like Digimon, but then... <laughs> Like the the guy, the bad guy himself is somehow still a dude in a suit. So it went back to the formula, despite the fact you're like, okay, hold on. You were able to go into the Digiverse. What is this? It's like you went into the Digiverse. That shouldn't be real, but oh wait, you guys maybe if it's the same Scooby-Doo as the ones that experienced the other stuff, at this point it'd be like, yeah, you did experience magic 
multiple times. So Digimus, why not? No problem. Why not? Uh, and then it goes, and then the strange phrase that goes back to it's someone in a suit for like the rest of it, except yeah. for again some series like the Crystal Cove, whichever one, which is so weird that it just never went back because it was so successful to do the other one. And again, you could tone it down even more where it doesn't seem as scary because we see the cat people get disintegrated at the end of that film. Yep. And that really stands out. I'm like, no wonder some of our cohorts were afraid of it as children. Like they get, like they share the skeletons, they go down to the bone, disintegrated, goes away. I also want to say this is in between the era of like the Ren and Stimpy's and those other shows where it's like gratuitous, like humor and gratuitous. Like again, that's the extreme yeah of let's get let's get into it let's get some weird humor let's get this but again this mm -hmm. film did so well and i think yes. it was a good modern point so between yes. between all the 60s stuff into now like the almost 2000s at that point because even the bands so if we get into the three oh, yeah. songs third eye third blind, eye blind. like <laughs> i mean what like they're the one hit wonders of the the 90s and odds I I mean like closing time I mean I I feel bad for every zoomer who has never heard of closing time great one hit wonder um but yeah I think it was fascinating that they were the ones like sort of tapped to do the like Scooby-Doo theme song I think it, I mean it's a classic it's a classic theme song and I mean countless of other bands have tried to like or have done it you know for their special movies and everything so it's I don't know I it, like I don't know how to talk about it besides like this is so clearly a product it's, of its time yeah well, third eye blind wasn't the one who did um closing time that was semi-sonic oh wow third eye blind is um the people who did like um <laughs> semi-charm like like punch you oh yes there's our musical rendition of it we have words clearly words we have words I mean, I would have been surprised if Semisonic did a song on there as well at that point. Like, oh man, closing time. Da -na 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 -na. <laughs> I mean, which is ghosts with their own songs after that. I know we keep on like referencing that, but it's because it's literally the immediate film after that that get built off of this. Yeah. But the Hex Girls will forever be what got people into goths. That's my hardcore belief. <laughs> and those songs are really good. They slap as the kids say. But you know, who we do, we do, we do, we do. Like those are good songs, man. Yeah. And it was of that time. So it's really again really funny that this zombie island tried so hard. Yeah. It got I mean, so I, far in the end. It doesn't even matter. I think like I think I mean, but I wanna say though, like that's not maybe they were like one of the first iterations to, to sort of like add popular bands to songs just to like get people I don't know like I mean I think of also what a few years later Shrek would do the same thing you know I you know they revived essentially a monkey song with Smash Mouth and you know now it kind of became its own little monster to the point that like I don't think people realize that it's you know Smash Mouth was doing a cover I did it for the longest time until Scott Pilgrim <laughs> <laughs> exactly so it's 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 just interesting that like right like I mean maybe it's just one of those things of like oh like this is how we have to merchandise right we're a direct-to-dvd film 
So we also have to obviously sell the soundtrack to make more money. So let's just have bands that like everyone loves at this date and time. And, you know, Third Eye Blind, Third Eye Blind was it. And I think probably if we looked at the Scooby-Doo Zombie Island soundtrack, it's going to have other bands from that. I'm gonna, you know what it's I mean? funny because the because the music says three songs and I'm like I really hope they have like a mix of like other songs we'll mention you know like tie-ins right but it's really funny that it's like here's third eye blind here's some band called sky cycle I'm sorry sky cycle fans we don't know who that is I personally <laughs> don't know but it seems like they have that style alternative rock da 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 and also I'm looking at this and it says like for animation they're like we need to update I totally blanked out they updated the outfits like there's a part where like Fred almost has ask on. He's like, nah, and takes it off. And I'm like, oh yeah. Again, it's bridging the gap between the old and the new. Right. So it's getting more modern again without foregoing itself. It doesn't forego the Scooby-Doo formula. It's still there. Yeah. They still try to unveil someone. They get the unveiling. Scooby and Shaggy still mess up and you know solve the mystery for everyone. Velma calculates like 90% of the 99% of the clues. Yeah. And you know, again, it's them. Going back to it's growing up, it's them modernizing it, even modernizing more than before. Because again, the other ones were still so Scooby Doo. The only one that maybe was reeked of the '90s was Pup Named Scooby Doo, right? Because I had literally like it looked like a Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> yeah, I I mean I agree. I think it's it's an interesting like I guess sort of little case study of just like I guess not like looking how animation was and how animation has sort of evolved or popular animation I should say like how it was how it evolved and what we can sort of grapple from it right like how can we truly reboot something to make it uh, not okay but I guess just like put it in a like honor the source material without actually having to just add this crazy nonsensical things to it um and i hope that maybe in our reboot culture they would follow that i doubt it because they just want they they did try to reboot it with scoop which i haven't seen but a bunch of people did not really like jam with it too hard so i like i would be repressed not to mention that i totally find out as well and i think we should mention kind of as a final thing for rebooting and everything else one reboots can we do well you don't have to you don't have to rely on so many things or so like the other side is relying on so much nostalgia like did you get this did you get this did you get this right whoa some of these people are different ages like that doesn't work for everyone like find that perfect blend which this scooby-doo did and also um voice cast i um all these people not celebrity like not actual like oh i got beyonce to be the voice of nala in you know lion king like no they're not celebrity like from other different spaces they're voice they're voice actors yeah some of them you might know of very famously of course we know mark hamill who's always um he was an actor plus a voice actor but he's mainly known for being a voice actor now so he's he's in there tara strong you might hear um, oh yeah tara you, you, you look up at who does she play she's lena like you can hear it it was like you know the moment i was like oh that 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 suit Tara is but um so scott inez as scooby-doo billy west as shaggy and pierre mary Kay bergman as daphne Frank Welker as Fred, BJ Ward as Velma Dinkley. I forgot how cute Velma's name is. Um, Adrian Barbeau as Simone, Tara Strong as Lena Dupree, Cam Clark as Bo, 
Detective Bo, Jim Cunnings as Jacques Morgan Moonscar, and a plantationer, Mark Hamill as Snakebat Scruggs and the airport manager, Jennifer Lee Warren as Chris, Ed Gilbert as Mr. B-Man, and Jack Angel as Colonel Jackson T. Pettigrew, uncredited. All right. So none of these people are, again, Beyonce's other stuff. And that was a problem Scoop had. Scoop had celebrity voice actors and a lot of modern ones as well. So like yeah. Pixar and Pixar are the things. So guys, one, or in general, if you want to go bridge nostalgia with this, please do it well. Don't over-rely on, this, don't over-rely on nostalgia. Um. You don't have to rely on celebrity voice actors. And honestly, just get to the heart of it. Because Scooby-Doo Zombie Island was is fondly remembered, not because it was spooky, scary, and edgy. It's because it got to the heart of Scooby-Doo and bridged the gap between ages. And I think is a really good piece to still watch, despite the problems we did point out. But those are not actual problems. I don't want to say too much of the story or anything. It's just get to the heart of things. Yeah, I agree. I think it's so hard to capture the essence of something, especially the source material. I mean, you know, you think about adaptations. I mean, most reboots usually get like completely ripped to shreds just because, you know, these fans are out here, you know, commenting that they just don't capture the heart of, of what the source is. So yeah, I think if Scooby-Doo were to like be massively rebooted beyond just direct to DVD stuff, they're going to have to really like grapple with like, how can we honor the tropes and the characters of Scooby-Doo, put your own spin on it, but also don't like, you know, egregiously add things that don't make sense. Yeah, I know Scoop was supposed to come out in theaters and of course it came out not straight to DVD, but because of the pandemic we're in, it's 2020 when we're recording this, y'all. Um, it came out on, uh, you know, online so you had to go watch it online i think at the price of the movie which i think um really defeated it more but at the same time again uh people's reviews are very like we weren't really jumping all the time for it and they also did that weird thing where they made the characters i think a little bit more i think like daphne was more like whatever like she was a little bit ruder so just keep the essence yeah don't you have to keep them as actual like fully their stereotypes like yeah evolve it so it's modernized but don't just again the heart that's what we all care about kids don't care how old something is or neither do adults if it has the heart that's why we revisit avatar the last airbender something that is at this point almost a decade is a decade old so yeah it's it's pretty much a decade old it's you know we're sitting there and that was our childhood people revisit the older products like the old transformers because there's like a heart to it even if it's campy cheesy there's a heart yeah so I mean like I like I can't help but just sound like an insanely old person by just being like don't ruin the things of my childhood and yeah like thinking the fact that like I remember explicitly watching the pilot of Avatar that you're telling me that it's like over 10 years or it's 10 years old now I'm just like I can't yeah I can't process that (laughs) yeah but Yeah. yeah I think we should wrap up probably yeah also, maybe the end thing is, guys, instead of just rebooting things, because we, we ourselves are in a CMS, we're in a production, we're, we're not on the production side, but there's a production major. They People are fighting to do something new every single time. 
it is okay to have one reboot, but when everything's a reboot, it's really defeatist or when you're not doing anything new. So please just Hollywood be more open to having more things, be more open to more animation, be more open to all this stuff and just, you can have a Scooby-Doo-esque formula. Yeah, someone's gonna always bring it up, but it could be different. It could be with aliens, who cares? But, um, you know, let people create new things. So there could be the new Scooby-Doo or do something else in which someone else gets attached to it that's again we go back to avatar we all looked back at it it's fond and it was by itself we look at um so many other series that are fond you know, finally remember it by itself and if you do decide to do a reboot look at she-ra that is a reboot that devoid of the old reboot in this uh, the old original product in its own way so be allowed to do something new work you can work with those formulas and still do something new yeah i think if i'm gonna go to a terrible scooby impression but like ruby says no to rip <laughs> all right i'm done <laughs> All right. All right. That's, that's the show. That's the show. Bye. Is- Bye. <laughs> um, there we go. Zoinks. Please. Bye. Um, chinkies, I dropped my glasses. There we go. We got all our scooby doo impressions out of the way. That's it for our show this week. Thank you for listening and for your support. Please subscribe to the show on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can follow us on Instagram at Cineposium and on Twitter at Cposium to keep up with our updates and to keep in communication with us. Until next time, take care, everyone.